0: Welcome to the Crazy Heart of Art. My name is Francisca. Today, we have the pleasure of being with Lynn Underhill, who is a dedicated grandmother, a life coach, primarily working with women, reconnecting to self-love, and recently started her own podcast, Echoes of Love Return to Source. We're so excited to have you here today, Lynn. Please tell us a little bit about you.
1: Well, hello. (laughs) I'm excited to be here, Francesca. Well, like you mentioned, I am a a coach and a a grandmother. I love, I have five grandchildren. Uh, My oldest grandson is 18 and my youngest just turned four. It's a wide span of beautiful, and I have one granddaughter and the rest are all grandsons. So it's been very fun, very fun to play with them, learn with them, grow with them, it's funny how it takes you back and you, your own childhood comes, you know, sort of rushing in and you remember when you were five and when you were four and when you were three and when you made up your mind that this is, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm not enough and you, you can let it go. And it's very fun.
0: I'm, I'm interested in the concept when you're saying that you're discovering things about yourself about not being enough tell us a little bit more about that
1: my grandson's his name is adna and you can hear him like he'll be riding in the back seat of the car and he'll say something like nobody loves me Uh, nobody loves me and his mother's in the front of the seat going oh my god (laughs) Right now, he's creating a conversation that he's going to have to wipe out in the landmark forum some point in his life. And I can think back to when I was very young, my mother had polio. And prior to my mother having polio, I was this little goddess in the house. My parents worshiped me. And then when my mother had polio, my mother and father were both gone most of the time. And they hired a family to come in and take care of us. And all of a sudden I would come home from school and have dirt on my socks and be sent to my room without dinner, which would have never happened with my own parents. My father had said to me when he left, okay, honey, you're in charge, take care of your brothers and sisters. And there was some sense of, and I don't know that I put it in terms of I'm not enough, but there was some sense of, oh my God, how can I take care of them? I can't even take care of myself. So when I see my grandson go through whatever, I can remember, oh, I decided at one point that I'm not enough. And then I could really see where that conversation came from and how it arose. Naturally, at age five, you would feel like you had no power. And yet I also realized that my brothers and sisters never had anything happen to them. I was molested, but my brothers and sisters never had that happen. I actually succeeded at taking care of my brothers and sisters.
0: I can also hear when you say that, when we're talking about the 35,000 unconscious decisions every day, that that's part of our underneath programming, that we don't even know we're living from. As a coach, when you bring back people to self-love, how do you work with them? Do you have special processes? What do you do? It's primarily.
1: Every person is unique. Every individual has different places where you can access it. For the most part, I start with people with what are they wanting to accomplish in life? Why are they engaging in coaching at all? What is it that they're trying to have happen in their life that coaching is going to contribute to? And And then we begin to look at their, their relationship with that, their relationship with themselves. How much time do they actually spend? It could be as simple as how much time in a day do you actually spend nurturing yourself? Do you take time to go for a walk in the morning? What nurtures you? What, where do you feel most safe, most loved, most secure, and then bringing in more of those kind of activities into your life. Another person that I work with had much more negative self-talk that was always going on without realizing that it was always going on. So it was started by paying attention to what do you say to yourself? <laughs> Write it down Get it, so that you start to get present to what's there and the extent of the time that you do that. We really examine that conversation. Why that conversation? What would it look like if you shifted it? It just depends on the person and what's going on in their life. I don't have a pre-written program that is the same for everyone, really. Though you tend to go to the
0: same kind of places with people. When we talk about creativity in your coaching and bringing back people to nature and to self-love, it's very much a creative process present yes. with the person and being extremely creative. I know you're talking about, I believe. correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you were talking about healing gardens and you're creating gardens. And I'm very curious to hear more about your special gardens and conversations so what, thank, about earthlings
1: when I was a young child, my parents used to have cocktail parties. And one I remember this one cocktail party where a gentleman came up and asked me, where are you from? And I looked at him and I said, Earth, where are you from? And I always had the sense of being from Earth. And as I got older, I collected and I think Most people do where you walk around and you see a beautiful stone and you pick it up or you see a beautiful flower and you pick it and you might even dry it or you find a beautiful in Colorado that and where I started all of this in Colorado, the aspen trees do really beautiful things. And we would collect sticks and make walking sticks with them. And one of my first earthlings is a walking stick that I call Eve and carry around. And then I have a beautiful one that my grandson Wisdom found that looks like a shepherd's staff that actually has the crook in the top of it. But what I say is whenever two or more earthlings come together, you have a soul garden. Uh, And An earthling could be another human being, but it could also be my dog or my cactus plant or the stones in the yard, like any natural element of earth. And I am a strong believer that we're all connected. We are all of earth and we return to earth. (laughs) So that a soul garden may be, you and I right here talking have created a a soul garden. And the conversation that we have is adding energy to your field and mine. There's a nurturing that's happening and anyone who listens becomes part of that garden. But also I create gardens. I used to lead programs, uh, seminars for landmark education, and I always brought a plant in the room. I always brought some piece of nature and set it on a table either next to me or in the front of the room. And when I talked to people like this last year, a friend of mine, one of the things that I could hear that she was really interested in was expanding her relationships out in the world, like being known for the services that she provided to others. And I had recently come across the collection of stones where the focus or the energy that these stones brought was brotherhood. So I put together a garden for her that um, had the energy of the brotherhood and sent her that garden. And since then, all of a sudden her world has expanded And she's doing all of this work with other people, running technical things in the background, creating conversations for peace in the world, particularly between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And I stand at the Brotherhood Stone in the background is there nurturing And what she's up to in life and providing her with the energies that she needs to accomplish that.
0: As a wildlife photographer, I can totally relate to what you're saying. Because when I get centered, when I get grounded is when I take my camera and I go outside. When I go in the woods, when I go finding the eagles, just being and just it takes me out of everything. In the world, we have a lot of stress. We have a lot of things that we worry about, COVID, the war in, in Europe, many things that are very stressful right now. And if I need to de-stress and I take my camera and I go outside, it's just, it could take something as magical and little as an Eastern bluebird the other day. It's like, wow, look at that. This is so amazing. It um, landed on the hibiscus bush, right? And he starts eating these tiny little red berries, but it is yeah. so magical and so beautiful. So I can very much relate when you're talking about this. And my very good friend and Reiki master, I miss her healing garden. She moved and she had a lily garden that was just Incredible that when you walked into it, you were just in awe. And it's exactly what you're talking about. She had crystals in it. She had patterns that she somehow was guided to create. And it was magical. And before she would take you up in the healing room, she said, go in the garden, come back in 20 minutes. And then you'd be much more grounded and settled to go get your energy treatment. When you are... In the space of nature how would you describe it from creativity point of view well i i was just
1: present and one thing before going there is the one of the things that i love about your photography is the sense of the creature that you're taking the photograph of is so present it's it's really and I heard you mention this once, it was particularly toward the end of a cycle where you were taking pictures of animals in your neighborhood, that the animals came to pose for you. I'm so present to that. I'm so present to them showing their being and their beauty, uh, uh, the gift that they're giving to all of us that you capture. What's funny, I was laughing the other day because I, I speak all the time about gardens, energy gardens, but I'm not a gardener in the sense of having a garden in my backyard. There's one back here, but I'm so not really knowledgeable in how to take care of gardens out in the yard where I have this friend who creates beautiful gardens who lives right down the road from me. And completely understands permaculture, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, when I'm out in nature, there's two things. I always have Maya with me and I I generally, or lately I have Maya with me and we walk at Maya's pace, which is slower than, because she stops to smell everything, everything, everything. She's a Siberian husky that if I took her leash off and she could run, she would not stop to smell everything, but I might never see her again. (laughs) she'd be off chasing something and get covered with cactus. But what I do notice is I'm very present to the nature around me. And we often have a coyote who trails us, who will notice where we are, and then will track us as we move through. The other animal that I've noticed recently really being interested with me is a crow. I've had this crow fly down and just hover right about eye level. I actually took the crow saying, okay, time to get that podcast out in the world, Lenny. Let's move. I feel the animals and nature communicate. And when I lived in Colorado, we used to have moose that moose would come and lay in the backyard of my yard. There was one, there was a pen that Maya could go outside in. my two dogs could go out and out and this one moose used to charge up just to the edge of the pen and Maya would back up and then Maya would charge up to the edge of the pen and the moose would back up and they would play like that for hours. Whereas if she was
0: out of the pen she would be chasing that moose. Thank you for sharing that. That is really powerful. Yeah. Crows are actually highly intelligent. They have been known to learn human language understand humans being able to communicate in our language with us it's very fascinating if you actually start studying um, crows and when you talk about the animals coming to me yeah it's been an incredible journey I live in southern Ontario on the farm where we have been for 40 years we have never seen bald eagles and in the last year I found the bald eagles here in the area and they actually have shown up on the farm the big trees on the farm and we have some huge pine trees down the street and I've been there several times and it's just like wow it's magical it's a really fascinating conversation as we really need to come back to nature yes We need to learn how to come back to nature where I was telling, you know, when you're talking about grandchildren, I talked to my niece yesterday and I said, well, you know, we were actually very fortunate because I grew up in Austria and I grew up in a house where people cooked for themselves, meals, real meals. So I am very fortunate, for example, in times that we are in right now, being still connected enough that I can figure out what veggies to buy and what meats to buy and how to make good meals. Yes. Yeah, and yes, I'm so man. present to when I talk to a lot of people, how much we lost of that, how small the section of vegetables is in the grocery store, it's the smallest section. Everything else is packaged. And in terms of being reconnected, I mean, this is really probably a big part of it finding our way back to nature, finding our way back to the natural things. Yes, I live in a place where in the wintertime, you can't grow food, really. But what about if we really reconnect and bring a lot of it back? Especially now, maybe this is just wake up calls for us to reconnect and come back to nature.
1: One of the things that I've learned in coming back to nature is that there is an electromagnetic field that is present on the crust of the earth. And where we probably did the worst damage to ourselves was somewhere around the end of World War II, where we started manufacturing shoes with rubber soles. Because the second we did that, we blocked that electromagnetic energy from coming up from the earth and actually nurturing our bodies. And not only did we disconnect from the earth nurturing us, we disconnected the earth from being nurtured by us. So oftentimes, and I just in the last three months have I discovered this whole concept of earthing and reconnecting to nature, by standing barefoot on the earth or lying in the sand or whatever it takes to actually connect your body with the earth again. It's beautiful that you say that because that reminded me, oh yes, let me share with you about the electromagnetic field, right? And yes, so I'm really getting interested in that field and how And now there are people who manufacture sheets that you can put on your bed that give you that electromagnetic energy or blankets or shoes that you can wear on your feet, but still just stepping outside barefoot when you can. So every day I have a little patch where I've moved all the rocks aside where I can just stand
0: on the earth for a period of time. It's such a small thing and it's so powerful. They actually did studies. You can look into Bruce Lipton, Greg Mm -hmm. Braden. Yes. They're scientists and they will tell you that this is like real. This is not like we're talking about a woo woo and hocus pocus. It's real. And they also have done studies and projects in senior centers where they take the seniors out. And even if you're in a wheelchair, they just put the wheelchair so you can put your feet on the take off the shoes and the socks and put on your feet. And yes, it is incredible how such a small, invention can have such a big side effect which is actually not a bad invention because when you live in canada you're very happy you have big fat boots right now at minus 20 or minus 40 so it's it's really incredible because we don't like we don't always look at where it's intercepting with other with the next steps human steps
1: And even had we been aware of that electromagnetic field at the time we created boots, right? We would have been able to create a boot that allowed the energy to go through it
0: and still keep our feet warm, I bet. There's one, there's some way. I mean, the natives managed to have shoes and boots that kept their feet warm and kept them from freezing. I love our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. And I hope we can have lots more fabulous conversations in the future.
1: Yes, thank you so much for inviting me or having me on your podcast. It's been delightful.